everybody. Welcome back. I'm Katie. And I'm Kate. And this is Premeditated. There we kind of Yeah, it was beautiful. We're, <laughs> we're going to keep the singing alive, you know, forever. 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 Uh, well, thanks for joining again this week. Woo! Yeah, back for another episode. And, God, I hate to say this, guys, but I kind of love to say it, but this is going to be part one of a two-parter. Oh, yeah. yeah, I tried really hard and I was like, I was like, I think I could get this down to one. No, <laughs> it was like 20 pages of notes after, oh. after reading. I mean, it's a, it's a serial killer. So it's not like a one and done or even a two and done. I somehow managed I to do serial killers in one episode. Well, look at you. <laughs> but they never get caught. So, yeah. <laughs> Not me. I just like go really deep and I'm like, I, I go through my notes and like, how, what details can I take out? And I just can't. I just like every no, detail. Let's make it a two parter and I don't so have like, to do one next week. I know. I know. And I'm like, you know what? We're going to probably, while I'd love to get this to you sooner than next Thursday, like the second part sooner than I just don't think like it's yeah. feasible with it's, our lives. Yeah. With our schedules lately. So, we, as of late. Yeah. So, well, certainly we could certainly maybe try, but. The promise is there's going to be this episode on Thursday. Part two will be next Thursday. And I'll I'll make sure to get it into two parts. Let's under promise and over deliver. Yeah. <laughs> That's what, that is what I, my life's motto. That's a really good life. Yeah. Motto. And, yeah. And also my father's motto, which I also love. And my entire, that entire side of my family thinks this way. Uh, good old uh, Catholic, Irish Catholic skepticism. Sure. Um, is always think the worst and then you'll be so happy when the best happens. That it, huh. Yeah. So I always assume the worst of every situation. Like, fucking kids stole all my pears. Yep. And then it was raccoons. And that's best case scenario. But did I go there? No. I automatically lost all my faith in humanity, which yeah. wasn't a lot yeah. to begin with. I talked about that this week and I told my whole family about that story. <laughs> they got, you and I were putting yeah. out the order. I was pissed. <laughs> I want my fucking pears. I know. Oh, wait, before we do this, do I provide my update? Oh God. Yes. 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 Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So update investigation discovery. Yes. Has a yes, show. Yes. 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 This discovery. Okay. By okay. Uh, people magazine. So it's people, people investigate. Yes. And I was watching the most recent episode and it was Lewis Clark Valley serial killer. And it's called like Valley of Death or something. And like clearly they listened to our podcast, which got them. I honestly, I thought that (laughs) for a second because I was like, Megawitz has got someone over there. (laughs) He's like, you got to listen to this. And they were like, holy shit. And then they ran and they did all these interviews and edited the entire episode. In like two months. In two months, just in time. But it was really interesting because it provided a lot more info that I did not have access. None of us had access to earlier. So so first they mentioned Lance Foss by name, which they couldn't do in these documentaries for whatever reason. Right. And made the connection to him for, for all of these murders. So a few facts that I did not have available to me when I did the episode. So the little girl was Christina White. Yep. That was the first one. That was the first one. Yep. Then there was Kristen David, who was riding her bike. Yep. <clears throat> so the first one was the carnival, right? That was the fair. Yep, the fair. The county fair. The county fair, that's right. Um, and then there was... Uh, the biker. The 30-mile biker. Yes, Kristen David. And then there was Christina and Brandy and Stephen Pearsall. So the two girls, Brandy and Christina, the movie theater girls, they actually were working as janitors at the theater 
with Stephen Kersall. Oh, so they did have a connection to the theater because and they to, were yeah, both and working there. To so he would have definitely known that. Right. And I guess Kristen David actually, at the time she disappeared, was painting sets for a play oh. at the theater. And then with Christina White, there is an anomaly that they found in the basement of a house that Lance Voss owned that looked freshly patched over, which I mentioned in the in yeah. the episode. But so they have since done ground penetrating radar and dug in that, and they haven't found anything, but they tested the soil. And they said something or someone has been buried here at some point. Oh, so maybe he buried and then like took her out once pressure was being put on him. Yeah. And then this is the craziest part. So you know how down in California, Lance Foss was caught outside a funeral home. That's with like a knife and a flashlight or whatever. Okay, I guess the girl that that had drowned and was in the funeral home, they gave her story on how she died. She was on the beach one night with her friends and her boyfriend. She was 15. She got in a fight with her boyfriend. She left. She walked off. And then the next morning, they found her. She washed (gasps) up on shore naked. So it was not, it is very much possible that this was his first killing. So he not only was trying to break into the funeral home and he didn't just have a knife and a flashlight. He had a camera. Oh, so he's trying to break in, break into a funeral home. I thought just because he was like a necrophiliac right. or something. No, because he likely was the one that murdered her. Holy crap. So blew my mind. Wow. So what did they say? Any updates on like what's going on with Lance? Yes. Well, he lives in North Carolina, but the FBI said they had a press conference in 2019 and said, this case has been reopened and we are actively looking in. uh, We have new locations to look in that have been associated with him and they could, they couldn't say anymore, but they're actively investigating it now. It's wild to me that he has, that nothing's happened yet. Yeah. Like, it's so wild to me. No evidence. They need to go back to the theater and they need to look for spaces that him as a handyman would be the only one that would know about it. And it sounds like the family members aren't going to let it drop. I and hope not. Also, I did not know that Stephen Pearsall was only 5'6". We he were was wondering how, like how he could have overpowered all of them. Well, yeah, because Lance Fox is 6'6". Six, six. So and he so- was a full foot taller yeah, Stephen was probably a, like and he a little was guy. Very slim, and he could have because we were remember we were wondering like how could he have carried all these right people like if he killed them in the theater or how could he overpower them yeah, or like, coerce I, them? I do still wonder how he incapacitated them somehow if it was one by one or how he managed to do it. Well, he's a massive dude and he yeah. has tools around him. Right, like I think he tied them up. I mean, because the two girls were found with wire and rope. I just really hope it seems so crazy that that guy is just outliving his best life. And he's connected to, to all now, of now the that's three, four, five, that's six. That's literally six murders. Yeah. And then there's the one when he was growing up in Chicago oh, and right. a girl was murdered in his apartment that's building. That's right. Yeah. Oh, God, so seven murders that he's connected to. And he's just like that we know of. So, like, Oh, I guarantee you right, there's more. Right. Exactly. There's more. Ugh. Like you don't just stop. No. Like he sounds like it's crimes of opportunity. Oh, well, thanks for the update. That is. Yeah. That is, uh, if you live in North Carolina, yeah, watch out. Both my sister and my husband's sister live in North Carolina, and I want to call them. And be like, All right, guys. So this week, as promised, as I've been promising for a couple weeks now, we're going to Michigan. 
like I said, we are going to be talking about a serial killer. So I've been waiting to do Michigan, but we are going to talk today about Don Miller. Donnie Miller. Don Miller. Nice enough sounding name, but Don Miller. Let's start by talking a little bit about Don Miller. You know how I like to to give a whole background of who the person is. How they got to be so fucked up. Exactly. How they got to be fucked up because like that is what matters. So Don was born in 1954 and he was the eldest of three kids, two sisters. And his parents were Jean and Elaine Miller. He was very close to his sisters, one more than the other. So he's like super, super close to one of his sisters. Like how close? Yeah, not not okay. that close. <laughs> that I know of. That I, you know, like that, not not that close. That is, is made clear, but very close. And he was raised very religious, so very straight-laced. He wouldn't smoke. He never swore. He hated alcohol. And, and people described him as nearly a perfectionist. He was not just close to his parents and his siblings, but his grandparents. He was like a family guy. He loved doing like sports. And in the summer, him and his dad would like go out and, you know, go motorcycling. And, that and sounds like a like well-rounded sounds like, kid. Yeah, it sounds like He's got kid. Jesus and his mama and his sister. Sisters <laughs> and yes, his motorcycles. Exactly. He ended up being pretty quiet and conservative. He loved spiritual jazz music. Oh, I'm like wait in the water, wait in the water. That's exactly right. That's yeah. what that's what he was. I bet that song exactly. Yeah, was he was it's, it's typically to. supposed to be like a soul, but. Yeah, he and he was like, he took religion to the next level, right? Like even his family, his parents, I don't think were, but he was like, he was very extreme. So he believed that it was like, it was necessary to test your faith. It wasn't just like enough to be faithful, but he wanted to, you like, there was like a situation. Yeah, exactly. Oh my God, he did? No, he didn't. But there was a situation where he was like, he was like with a group of people and, and he was like, you know, would you ever just jump off like the side of a bridge just to prove that like you would come back? And he's like, cause if you aren't going to do that, then you like, God isn't in you. So he was like shaming people for not like going that far and like saying they would go that far. So he was very musical. He played the trombone. He was the first chair. So he was very good. And he would carry it with him at all times. He was very active with music. He went to musical summer camp for gifted students. So he was like super, super talented. He went to band camp? Yep. Yep. For gifted students though. So he was like... Oh, he you, was a cream of the crop when it came to the trombone. You know those gifted. I was a gifted student, believe it or not. <laughs> and I know what we got up to. Yeah, I know, right? Especially yeah. at band camp. At like, band camp, but not him. He was he was very straight edge. Band but camp. He also wow. yeah. So and he uh, worked as a youth minister. Was very involved in his youth group, and he had just kind of a few close friends, and people called him unassuming. Said so he just kind of basically blended right into the crowd. So he went to college. He went to Michigan State University for college. He tried out for the Michigan State University band and and he did make it. In the summer of 1975, he declared that personal admin would be his major. But personal admin? Yeah. Like an exec assistant? I think so. I guess I think it was just that was what he was interested in. However, in the fall of 1975, so like not that much longer afterwards, he switched it to criminal justice. So he was very interested in pursuing some sort of career in criminal justice justice okay well so msu yep that's is that ann arbor uh michigan state university is in east lansing michigan during one of the summers that he was back from school he and his sister and one of his sister's friends martha sue young were hanging out and they they got together and and just like created a really good friendship and soon enough don 
started having feelings for Martha Sue Young. So just young love, very sweet. So Martha Sue Young was born in Corpus Christi, Texas, um, to Sue and Lee Young. She had a bunch of sisters. They moved to Michigan in 1969 for her dad's job, and she graduated East Lansing High School in 1974. She had an interesting history or like kind of an interesting past. They, Her and her family lived in Pakistan for five years for her dad's job. Oh. And so they were in Texas, then they were in Pakistan, then they moved to Michigan. And once they got back to Michigan, um, her parents divorced. She stayed in Michigan with her mom. So she was a petite girl. She had brown hair and blue eyes. She was just a stunning young woman. She was also very involved in her church, but she was also very social. So she loved going out with friends. She was involved in a lot of activities. I believe it was the same church that they were were involved in the same sort of church. So she started college at Southwest University in Texas. She had been raised in Texas, moved to Pakistan, moved to Michigan. So she decided to go to college in in Texas. So she started college at Southwest University in Texas and she joined a sorority, became very involved in activities. That's kind of like she was very social. And then the summer after her first year at school, her and Don connected when she was at home. So she, she lived in East Lansing. Right. Near where Don Miller and his family lived. And so they reconnected and they sort of rekindled this romance. And Don formally asked her out. So they were dating. They began dating. They were going steady. Yep. And so while Martha loved going out and being social, going to parties, restaurants, Don was not into doing really anything social. So like their dates would literally be going to Bible study or just sitting with each other like, on someone's couch. He didn't like going and doing things. He this was very sounds much... like the very first episode you ever did with Bonnie. Oh, right. Yeah. With, yeah. With Bonnie and Richard. You're kind of right. Yeah. Honestly. Like he didn't really like going out and socializing no. with people. So that's what they did all summer. Their dates were literally like Bible study and talking, maybe oh, potentially holding torture. hands. But she, so she goes back to school and she started getting a little bit homesick. I don't think it was necessarily Dawn that she missed. I think a lot of it was she missed her mom and she missed like being around because I mean Michigan to Texas that's a long way so I bet she saw her family back in you know Michigan probably like Christmas and then summer and that was like it yeah and so that's hard that's really hard so she started getting homesick Don would you know send letters to Martha frequently and he would often include like sketches and occasionally they'd be like cute like hearts or like you know arrows but then he'd like start doing these weird like religious drawings and some of them were getting very dark. And she just was kind of like, huh, interesting. He likes to, he likes to draw <laughs> pictures, but he, he likes to draw the crucifixion. Right. Think like truly yeah. things like that, like, yeah. like kind of dark things that she was like, huh, okay, well, Ugh. that's something. In addition, like during this time that she was at school, Don was like, I don't know if it was like a formal proposal, but he was like, you, you know, marry me, marry me. And Martha was like, nah, no, nah, I'm good. Like, we're not ready for that yet. Yeah. Kind of was was declining his proposals. And and in these letters, of, he'd say things like, well, it's God's will that we get married. Oh, and, like, my God. That drives her. me nuts. And, and then mm. in one letter, he said, like, you know, if we disobey God's will, our families are going to suffer terribly. There it is. And just the religious guilt. stuff. Yep. Yep. So, so it was after a letter that she received that was like this, that she was like, something's wrong. Like, I, I don't feel right about this. It was after like, he had wrote to her and said like, your, your family's going to suffer if we don't get married. And she was just like creeped out. She called her mom and she was crying and she was like, mom, Don is being a fucking weirdo. And her mom's like, let's, let's break this off. Like, you don't need to be and this And this is family. after she moved to back to Michigan? No, she hadn't moved before. home. She hadn't moved home. Before yet. she moved home. Yep, okay. So, so she's got to 
good 2,000 miles. Yeah. So she's, yeah. And so she's, she's feeling homesick, but she hasn't made any move yet. She's still at school in Texas. So she called her mom and her mom's advice was tear up the letters, ignore his calls. Yeah. Just break it off. Because back then it wasn't like there was, I mean, he, if, if you ignored somebody's phone calls or like, like again with Bonnie and Richard, like if you Bonnie when she was, yeah, there were no repercussions. No, it's like, now it's like they can find out where you live and like they can memorize your work schedule. Right. Like, yeah. But yeah, back then it was like easy to get rid of somebody. So she did. So she was just like, she ghosted him. She's like, I don't want to do this anymore. So what, like we were just talking about though, Martha was getting really homesick. And during the summer before her junior year, she decided she was going to move home. She was like, so she had been in, in Texas for two years, but it was her junior year and she missed being around her family. Right. So she decided to move home and start at uh, Michigan State University. Now she gets home and of course she's seeing Don's sister and then Don's back in the picture. And, and so Martha <sighs> and Don start seeing each other. They started talking again, again, just as friends. That summer Don was at, in Mackinac Island. So he was working there over the summer. So they weren't able to really like rekindle their romance but he started once again writing her letters and the letters started getting creepy again and he's going down this weird creepy path you know and so yeah once he got back from working on Mackinac Island he once again was like let's start back up with our bible study so all the while you know that he was kind of convincing her like it's just just for bible study just for these like religious outings but meanwhile he's also like pressuring her to get back together and insisting like well we are like we're doing the same things we did when we were a couple so obviously we're a couple and she's like no we're not I'm not interested in you that way but over time time he did manage to like whittle her down he wore her down yeah he wore he, her down wow. you know he told martha if you're rejecting me you're rejecting god and so he was using this like her he was using her faith to manipulate her and she was young and so she was like oh god maybe that is true i think she was just naive unfortunately and uh, and all this back and forth and like well he loves me and and you know feeling wanted and desired i mean everyone goes through shit like that so that's true in, I mentioned that Martha had like a, a, she was one of many daughters and her younger sister, Kay, particularly just despised Don. She could tell he was just a ticking time bomb and there was just something off about him. Like he just didn't seem right. So Don approached Martha's mom to ask if Martha could marry him. Which is weird. Yeah. And she was just like thrown off and she told Martha about it. She didn't say yes or no. She just was like, uh, and told Martha about it. And Martha ultimately decided she wanted to marry Don. Oh, he is really, he's really put in some work on her. Right. Like, oh. Yeah. So Christmas of 1976, you know, Martha and Don are engaged. They're planning on getting married but some family friends came to visit Martha from Philadelphia and Martha's family actually drove them back to to Pennsylvania so they came from Philadelphia and then Martha and her family drove them back and they stayed with them in Pennsylvania for a little while and these were like super good family friends and during this whole like driving back and forth and spending time together Martha's friend and and that fan and their family all were like Martha we we have real doubts about Don so they started putting some doubts in her head about the whole situation well, and just kind good. of talking her out of well, I was the hoping idea for that instead him. of like all the all the people that love her being like well if that's what she wants right yeah right so so over this over the holiday season 1976 there was some real doubt growing in Martha as to you know whether or not she wanted to marry Don if I were her friend I would literally I would literally the next time I saw her bring a massive red flag with me yeah <laughs> and I'd be like I would just hold it and she'd be like what Kate and I'd be like there's 
Do you see it? It's yeah, like- that's what I would do with you. I'd be like this. this. <laughs> What's a red flag? Everything. Yeah, just everything about literally this. everything about yeah. the situation. <laughs> yeah. Martha also really didn't like that Don's parents had a, a terrible relationship. Like Don's dad apparently treated his mom like absolute garbage. But her parents are divorced. Yeah, but I mean, like. There is something to say about like, yeah, do you want to be with a, a person who's, who's like dad treats their mom like Whose shit? example growing right. up was, yeah. And there are divorces that are amicable. Right. I guess. And so she just really didn't like that. So it sounds like she's, she's picking up on between what her family and friends are telling her and what she's witnessing. She's. God bless her. It might be a little too late, but she's connecting the dots. Yeah. Of. And some other sort of red flags. She, she said Don had, you know, as they're planning their wedding, Don is like, you know, they're picking out their wedding party. And Don tells her that that he went over to a friend's house to ask this man to be his best man. And the guy who like answered the door, he literally went up to this guy's house. The guy who answered the door was somebody that Don had gone to high school with and literally hadn't seen him in three years. So Don's closest friend that he could think of to be the best man in his wedding was someone who he had not seen in three years. And so she was like, that's, you know, and again, like she's social. She likes being out with people. And his closest friend is somebody who literally he's not physically seen in three years. Like, yeah. And so, so all these red flags, you know, he, his parents didn't get along. He didn't have friends. He also hadn't had a real job and he was 22. And she's like, what have you been doing for the past? Like for, you know, several years since you graduated high school, I know you're in college, but like what else, you know, you don't. What are you doing? He doesn't seem very ambitious. No. And so she finally decided, like, I don't want this. I'm going to call the engagement off. Oh, good for her. Yeah. So she decided to. And she just was like, now I have to figure out when. They were going to a holiday party. And she was like, I'm going to do it after the holiday party. But she actually did it prior to the holiday party. They still went to the party and acted, like, very friendly. And she felt like it it was a good breakup. Yeah. but And so she she believed that, like, okay, the breakup was very amicable. He's going to be you know, we're still going to be friends and we can still do these things together as friends. And I've never been friends with any of my exes. Well, and I think that's how she felt, but clearly Don was like on a different page. A couple days later was New Year's Eve. And the plan was that Martha was going to babysit for a young couple from church. And despite them breaking up just a couple of days prior, the plan was that Don would go with her to babysit and they would do some like Bible studies during the babysitting. The freaking Bible studies. So and so they, it seemed like everything, like seemed like everything was fine. It seemed like Martha was like, whew, you know, wiping her hands clean of this creep. And yeah, he's going to, you know, he's not going to be mean. He's not going to be angry. He still wants to be friends. Great. This is like the best. Of- so that night, Martha's mom got home after a dinner party that, that lasted until after midnight because it was New Year's Eve. And her mom got home and the house was empty. And she thought it was strange, but she... She was like, well, you know, it's it's New Year's. She was hanging, you know, she was babysitting for a young couple. So she went to bed and didn't really think anything of it. So New Year's Day, 1977, Don's dad, Gene, calls the police and tells them that Don's girlfriend hadn't come home the night before. How does he know? So he's like, you know, I got a call. It sounds like, you know, Don's girlfriend, Martha Sue Young, didn't get home last night. I just need to call and tell you. So the police obviously go over to Martha Sue Young's house And Don was there as well. And um, Martha's mom, Sue, explained that when she woke up at seven o'clock in the morning, Martha was still not home. And she immediately called Don's house as like having a mother's instinct of like something's wrong. And Don knows what's what's wrong. So she immediately felt like 
something happened and Don knows what's happened. So she calls Don's house and then Don's dad calls the police. So what happened was Sue calls Don and Jean. Okay. Jean picks up the phone and is like, well, do you know anything about this? And he's like, no, I don't know. Oh, yeah, of course. So Jean and Don make their way over to the, the young house. And when they got there, Sue was like, what happened to Martha? Like immediately she's like, you killed her. Like she, in her head, she, didn't, she didn't say it to him, but she knew she's like, something happened and mothers know right now. Mothers know. Right. And so Don said that he had dropped off Martha at like what he said, one fifty-five AM. Very specific. He said, she sat down on the front porch in the cold in land eats Lansing, Michigan. Cause it's Michigan, like new year's day, um, sat down on the front porch and waved goodbye and just sat up looking at the stars while Don drove away. Uh, Don didn't walk her to her house. He didn't wait to it's see that like she was inside. Six degrees outside. It's freezing out. And he's like, oh, she's like, oh, the stars are so cute. Ha, ha, ha. And um, Don said that after babysitting, they went back to Don's house for a couple of hours with his parents. They had pizza and they had some pop with them, um, with his mom. I think they like watched a movie. And then pizza he- and pop. Pizza some Zahn Coke yep, for a whole exactly. donor. Yeah. So they had pop. They had pizza. They hung out for a couple hours. And then Don said, like, around 1.55 in the morning, he brought, you know, Martha back. So immediately the police are like, we need to search your car, Don, to just get any, in, like, anything that we can from your vehicle. Yeah. And Don's dad was immediately like, oof, like, very skeptical. and like, I don't know if I want you to search his car. I mean, he is just trying to protect he's his He's a son, dad. Like, he's a dad. I get but- it. Oh, still, but, but still just gives you. So the police like asked to search the car. Don said that they could, the things that they found in the car, they found a blue thread and some hairs on the seats. They also noticed a red blood like stain on the front seat. They asked to take a sample and Don said, yeah, but he's like, Oh, it's probably a nosebleed. I got earlier this month. Sure. Um, (laughs) There were white scuff marks on the door panel. Uh oh. And all of this stuff. There, there were scratches on the outside of the car. There was sand and there were mud in the wheel wells. They didn't have enough probable cause to like impound it. But they thought, you know, with permission again, they were hopefully going to be able to do a secondary search after this to get some other uh, evidence. So police asked Don if they could drive around to everywhere that he said that him and Martha had been the night before. Because Don claimed that, you know, after eating pizza and pop, they had driven around for a little while. And Don was like, yeah, I could do that. I just, I like, I can't remember the roads. Like, I, I can't remember where we went. Oh it's like, he's lived here his whole life. And he was claiming like, he couldn't remember the name of the roads. He couldn't remember where exactly he had been. They talked to, they talked to Martha's mom and we're, we're like, is there any way Martha would have like left on her own? Is there any, any way she would have left, you know, without telling you? And her mom was like, absolutely not. Like she just moved home because she was homesick. Like she, she wanted to be here. Yeah. She also, she hadn't brought anything with her. And she also had like $125 in her dresser drawer that she, from a check she had just gotten. And so her mom's like, if she was going to leave, she would have brought that 125 bucks with her. She also had a new job that she was starting on January 3rd. So her mom's like, absolutely not. She would not have left on her own. This is like absolutely suspicious. The day of the disappearance. So like that, that day, you know, January 1st, 1977, the police uh, initiated their first formal interview with Don Miller. So they brought him down to the station, asked if they could speak with him and, and he agreed. So they asked Don, you know, about his relationship with Martha and Don claimed that him and Martha were still engaged <sighs> and that 
they hadn't made any plans, but, but, you know, they were still engaged. And despite the fact that she had told her family that the engagement was off, he said, no, 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 no. That's a misunderstanding. Yeah. I, and the, the, the scary thing is, is I bet he truly believes. That. Yeah. I mean, honestly, he yeah. probably did. Yeah. He just did not want to believe. It's like when she broke up with him and he just like had no honest, like he didn't have any sort of reaction reaction at all. Yeah. It was probably because he literally didn't believe it. They asked him to tell them what was the chain of events the night before. And he once again said they went babysitting at this young couple's house. The young couple got back sort of early and they went back to his house and had some pizza and pop. And then they spent a couple of hours or about an hour, he said, driving around looking at Christmas lights. Um, Once again, he said he dropped her off close to two, kissed her goodbye. And he said he didn't walk her to the door because, you know, it wasn't something he normally did. So he was just like, it just, I never did that. So I never, I didn't do it that night. She's like, way to be a, (laughs) not a gentleman. Yeah. You dirt bag. Yeah. Get out of the car. We're here. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Just open the door and throw her out. <laughs> Just put a boot in her back. Yeah. <laughs> so the police point blank asked, did you, did you hurt her? Like, did you hurt Martha? Right. right. And Miller's like, oh no, absolutely not. So they also, you know, went, they drove around with Don and like searched the areas where he claimed that they had been. And they didn't find anything. I thought he couldn't remember. He said he couldn't tell them the roads, but he's like, when they got in the car, he was like, yeah, there, uh, that's where we went. Oh so, my God. So oh. things that he told them as far as who could have done something to Martha, apparently uh, Martha had a, a previous boyfriend before Don and truly he had broken into the Young's home a couple years before. So he she had a crazy ex-boyfriend. So this boyfriend, however, he had a ton of people at his house for a New Year's party the night before. And they were there about 3 a.m. So he had like a handful of people that gave him a, like a rock solid alibi. So he was ruled out pretty quickly. He also offered to take a polygraph test. So they were like, no, you know, they, they ruled him out pretty quick. Oh, okay. Um, they also totally like a red herring here, but they found a Jewish prayer cap in the neighborhood neighbor's yard. So like a, like a yarmulke. And- oh my God. They asked the Jewish neighbors and like, do you know anyone who dropped this, this yarmulke? And then they asked like an old Jewish friend of hers, like, do you know anyone who this yarmulke belongs to? <laughs> it sounds like a Nancy no one, Drew book. I know. Like, the old one's oh, like, mystery of the yarmulke. Yeah. <laughs> mystery yeah. of the yarmulke. <laughs> the, the Jewish prayer cap. Yeah. <laughs> so that went nowhere. So oh it was gosh. pretty quickly. Police were like, this Don Miller guy is fucking crazy there's something with this guy so it was pretty quick that they like ruled out everybody other than don miller so the second day uh after her disappearance january 2nd her info was entered into the law enforcement like the database as a missing person so i don't know what the rules were back then but it was a full 24 hours after she was reported missing she was finally like entered into the system so they gave the lab hair and threat samples see if what information they could get from those and then they also interviewed don's mom elaine don's mom elaine said that don and martha had left their home about 11:30 and um don got home just after two o'clock on the first so that was like you know according to his timeline he said he dropped her off at 155 and, and got home by two after so that, they had some don right. cokes with his parents and then went and looked at christmas lights so she said that when he got home he appeared very happy so she she just thought it was like well he had a good evening or whatnot little do you know what makes him happy exactly and then don she said don told me the whole the same story he told you we went out for watch christmas lights i kissed her goodbye i left her on her steps so he told his mom the exact same story um but 
Elaine even was like, why did you leave her? She Elaine said she asked Don, like, why did you just leave her sitting on the steps? Yeah. And he told his mom, like, that's just what I did. I just, I never would walk her in. So Don also uh, agreed to come in for a polygraph. So the first polygraph, so there's multiple polygraphs he took. The first one, he was asked five questions. The questions were, on January 1st, 1977, did you deliberately lie to the police about where you last saw Martha Young? Question two, did you deliberately lie about leaving her at home at 2 a.m. on January 1st, 1977? Question three, do you know for sure where Martha is at now? Question four, did you directly cause Martha Young's disappearance? And question five, on that night, did you physically harm Martha Young? Don answered no to each question, and it was immediately clear he was lying to every single one. I don't know how these guys think that they're going to pass a polygraph. Right. like, there are guys out there that know how to adjust their body chemistry and, you know, everything to to fool a polygraph. But these dudes who aren't even smart, like, they're, they're setting off alarms with police after one conversation. Right. Like, they, oh. And he, he immediately, like, everyone, like, it was absolutely clear he was lying. So, so the police were like, dude, you're lying. Like you were deceptive to everything. They're like, what's By the, the way, real story? Right. Yeah. So, <laughs> so at that point, Don's dad, Gene, was like, let's talk it, Brian. Come here. Let's, let's I can't chat. believe his dad let him take a polygraph because they can't require that. No. They have to volunteer for right. it. Right. Like, so the dumbass was like, yeah, okay. Exactly. Exactly. What and could so, possibly go wrong here? And his dad's like, oh, shit. So they talked in private thinking, like, maybe there's some information that he could, I don't know. But but suddenly after speaking with his dad, Don's story changed. And he said, you know, that night, Martha was so angry at her parents. He said she was even swearing about how <gasps> angry she was at them. No. Yep. He said she was angry at, at her parents' divorce. She was so angry and that she wanted to get years before. She wanted to get out of the car and pray about it. Like, so she yes. was she was so upset when they were driving and she just wanted to get out of her car and pray about it. She she was just raging and said, I don't want to end up like them and was swearing up a storm. She so, goes, so she's screaming and swearing, and then she's like, Let me out of the car, god damn it. I want to pray about exactly. it. Exactly. And and it's, and it's January in Michigan. Right. Oh exactly. In the middle of the winter, she wants to get out and pray about it. Wow. So everything else, though, about his story, he said was the same. He's like, that happened, but then I brought her home and so left her on the stairs. So his dad's no genius either, because right. like, if he helped him come up with this, it's, like, it's like, come on, Gene. Yeah, it's like, like, do you think you could do a little bit better than that? I, I just sound like, okay. <laughs> so the search continues. Like, after that polygraph, they're, they're still talking to Don, trying to get more information out of him, but they're also doing a search of Don's clothes, and they do get a search warrant for Don's car. They got more small hairs that were removed from the seat and, okay. again, more blood throughout the car. There were more oh, blood stains. So she's probably not alive. So after testing, the blood was determined to be the same type as Martha's, but it wasn't enough to show that it was actually hers. So they could tell it was her same type, but the, the blood sample wasn't large enough to determine whether or not it was actually her blood. Right. There were pubic hairs that were found in his car, again, similar to Martha's, but not a definitive match. So there were pubic hairs, there was blood. All in all, not looking too yeah, good. Yeah, not looking Dawn. Not looking good. So in addition to like a thorough search on the ground, by J- January 4th, they were doing plane searches. So they were flying overhead looking for her. When it's um, that cold, I know. it's even if she was alive, there's yeah. just... 
That's really sad. So on January 5th, Don had his second polygraph test. The questions, they switched them up a little bit. Jan- on January 1st, 1977, did you deliberately lie to the police about where you last saw Martha? Do you know for sure where Martha is at now? Did you deliberately lie about leaving Martha at her home on January 1st, 1977? Did you directly cause Martha to become missing from her home? And did you plan with Martha to have her missing from her home? Again, Don answered no to all of them. And once again, he was lying. Well, what did they think he was going to do? Just be like, well, you know, I've been talking with my dad, Gene, and Jesus. And he decided that I'm going to start telling the truth. Oh, that's crazy. And these, you know, a polygraph test isn't enough to keep somebody. So he kept failing these, but they don't have any evidence that says anything other than she went missing yeah so there's he's just still out certainly and doesn't take him off the radar right though. yeah right. exactly so martha's mom is trying to keep communication open with don like maybe he'll tell me something like maybe if i act like i'm She's on desperate. his side yeah and so yeah. that's what she did she was trying to pretend like i'm on your side don so she asked don if he would take a ride with her to show her where like he had gone like can you drive me around show me where you went see if i can collect any information and so sue and uh don's parents went on a drive to see if they could you know if don could show them the route that they had gone that night uh they retraced the route with the police the next day and once again they weren't able to find much of anything they didn't didn't find anything so because it's not the truth right like he's not gonna all of a sudden tell them what he did so a few days later, January 11th, Don was once again interrogated. He's be- being brought back like countless times because they, they at this point are like, this is our guy, but they just are trying to find They're trying to anything. break him. Yeah, yeah, they're trying to find anything to connect him. At that point, like when Don came in for the interrogation, he had like a checklist of things that he wanted to ask the police. Are you for real? Right. Oh, the so balls like, on that guy. Yeah. So he brought in this list and he's like, have you looked into that Jewish prayer cap? Um, have you looked into the ex-boyfriend? And they're like, dude, we're on it. But no, they're, those leads went nowhere because you are obviously a psychopath. Shocker, the yarmulke was a dead end. Like, <laughs> So he also was like, where's my clothes that you took and when am I getting them back? Oh, my God. It's like, dude, get some new clothes. Like, those yeah. are involved. Those are, like, evidence for a potential murder. So, oh uh, so Don said that you know, once again said him and Martha were so in love. He said, Martha told him they'd never break up unless God directed them to. God must've done some directing that night. (laughs) So he was also asked about the blood that was in his car. You know, Hey, we found this blood. It's the same type as Martha's like anything you want to say about that. He said during their heavy makeout session. Oh boy. They were all over the front seat and her pants and her panties were down around her ankles and she may have had her period. And that might be it. Oh, my God. So he also asked, like, why was the polygraph? Why did these past two polygraphs show that you're lying? And he's like, well, I was just really uncomfortable when you asked me those questions. So oh, my God. It was God. obviously because I was so uncomfortable. <laughs> um, you're perpetually uncomfortable, dude. He also like- gave a couple other red herrings in that he was like, just so you know, Martha had recently showed an interest in Mormonism. <laughs> What? So maybe she was kidnapped by the Mormon church. Oh my God. It's like, so he's just throwing things all over, just throwing pasta at the wall, see what sticks. She had her period all over my car. Right. We weren't, we were, (laughs) we were studying the Bible. 
but there maybe was someone with a yarmulke. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. and, and also, like, it's he's just throwing a ton of religion yeah. under the bus to yeah. try and like trying to <laughs> trying to save himself by throwing yeah. a Jewish prayer cap and Mormons right yeah. in the toilet. Jews and Mormons, look know, out! Jeez. Look so out! Don's grandparents had a farm that was about an hour from Lansing. It was in Carson City, Michigan. And it had recently been sold, and Don had taken Martha up there previously, so the the police had searched the farm, didn't find anything. Um, They also decided that the police also interviewed the pastor, who was both the pastor for Don and Martha, and the pastor said Martha had told him that Don was, like, a creep and was super domineering. The pastor himself noted that Martha was super social and Don was a loner. They were, like, not a good match at all. She so, told she told multiple people. Right. Like everyone saw it. It was like they were not right. a good couple. So at this point, Gene Miller, you know, Don's dad was getting fed up with the interrogations, with like the speculation, and decided to hire an attorney to protect the family. After he's taken two polygraphs. Right, right. So after his son's taken two polygraphs, and but he's just Gene's like, I'm tired of the speculation. I'm tired of so he they hired an attorney. Um the so, shitty apple doesn't so all fall of those, far from the tree. Right. So all of the frequent interviews that were happening, like like almost daily interviews with Don, were over. Um, so around the same time, Sue Young is, is offering up a reward for information on her daughter. She held a press conference. She offered a thousand bucks. The church offered a thousand bucks. Nothing came of it. No, no leads came in because I think everybody is pretty certain that Don's the guy. They just can't. They can't pin it on him. There's no eyewitnesses, nothing. So that that year on Martha's birthday in April, so, you know, like four months after, Don sent flowers to to Sue Young. What and the said, fuck? And the card said, Martha is a rose. Are you for real? And Sue was like, you piece of shit. Oh, my God. Oh, ha- so this ha- guy oh, is a psycho. He's a psycho. This guy is a fucking psycho. Oh, so that no. fall. So it's been at this point, it's fall 1977. You know, it's nothing, almost been a year. It's, yeah, it's been eight, nine months. Nothing has been discovered. But there are hunters out and about in a field, you know, close to Lansing. Herman's out yep, there yep. looking for Herman's fucking looking snakes. For snakes. And they discover Martha's clothing and her purse and, and all, all of her IDs are in there. So they're pretty certain that this is her stuff. The clothing that they found, though, it was laid out as if someone was wearing it and had disappeared. So it was literally like they laid out the shirt, they laid out the pants, they laid out her like her purse. So it literally looked like somebody had been laying there in the clothes. And just, right, Poof. right. Because so, he's a fucking nut job. So that's, he laid out her clothes all perfect God, that's I don't know why, but that makes it so I know, creepy. I know. It just like really creeps you out to think about that. So they brought in tracking dogs to search the entire area. Nothing else was found. There was no body parts with oh, it. Nothing. Man. No. So several days of searching by air, you know, by land. There was a lake nearby. They did. They trudged the lake. Nothing was found. So that... That winter, uh, December 1977, so almost exactly a year after, an inmate at a at a local prison was like being the weird inmate that's like admitting to murders he didn't actually commit. The weird inmate, you know, that, like those that you email. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's like the pa- 
pen pal, my pen pal. My pen pal told me you won't believe what yeah, my pen pal told me. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but this inmate was just like for shits and giggles, admitting to local murders. He, for shits and giggles, really. He happened to live at the time of the murder, two doors down from where Martha lived, and so police were like, "Ooh, this could be credible. Like maybe." And uh, so he claimed that he had kidnapped and murdered Martha, but he didn't know why. He couldn't give any details. He said he cut her up with a chainsaw. He said he did it with her clothes on, which they quickly were like, you didn't take her clothes off. Her clothes were found, you know. Yeah. You like this clearly. Oh, dumbass. And so he ultimately admitted he was lying. Just, you know. So, you know, it's been over a year and nothing has has happened you know, no, Don is still the prime suspect, but they have nothing. Like they don't have her body. They have her clothing, but no, nothing that traces her to Don, nothing that traces yeah. anything to Don other than the lie detector test, but no physical evidence. So it's just not enough for the police to actually finally arrest him. Sounds so he's like just, Lance Voss. Right. It's like Lance yeah. Voss. So he's just out and about, you know, living his life. And it gets to be the summer of 1978. So by now we're a year and a half after, after Martha's okay. been missing. And another woman in the area goes missing. Now, this woman, her name is Marita Chiquette. She was 27 years old. She was divorced. She was also part of a, a she was part of the Episcopal Church, which I think was a, a similar. It was either the same church or it was like a branch of the right, church. But she right. was she was a religious uh, religious lady, and she was an aspiring writer. She had a bachelor's in English and what? wanted to get a journalism degree. Yeah, nice. She, she worked full time while she was in school. So she was just like a really hard worker, just like determined. She also really liked to have fun. She'd go out for drinks with friends and all that fun stuff. And she was really close to her two sisters. So on June 14th, 1978, Marita took the day off of work for a doctor's appointment. And then afterwards, she met her friends for a drink. She got home, she took out her trash, and then she went back into her apartment. She ran into some neighbors when she was taking out her trash. And they said she was in like a really happy mood. And she just seemed like... She- she just seemed to be in a good mood. Now at 11 p.m., Marita's neighbor and her good friend pulled into the parking lot and noticed that her car wasn't there. And that was very bizarre because Marita, like she she would she knew when Marita's car was there because they were neighbors and they parked next to each other. Right. And she just made a mental note of it. Now the next day, uh, a co-worker arrived at work and Marita was not there. And Marita was a hard worker. She was working her way through college. Right. She didn't just pull a no-show. No, yeah. and she just wouldn't just not show up. Um, and so she called a mutual friend to go and check on her and the friend went and knocked on her door and she didn't answer. And that's when they called Marita's dad. So Marita's dad called the police to report Marita missing and the police headed to her apartment knocking on her door. There's no answer. They called all hospitals. They called all close friends and they couldn't find, they couldn't find anything. They were, they couldn't and they couldn't not, they couldn't find her car. They couldn't find, nothing. so they couldn't so find. She's gone and her car's gone. Did they get into her apartment? So so about the car, they did locate the car. Um, so her job that she worked at was uh, she worked at a radio station on campus. And so her car was actually um, there. So it appeared that she had driven to work. Oh, at some point, maybe the night before or the morning of. But they thought it was probably the night before because her car wasn't there when the friend got into the parking lot at 11. Okay. And her lunch, which she made every single day religiously, um, wasn't in the building. She brought it every day. So it was clear she had never been inside the building. They couldn't figure out if she had got like 
come to the radio station late at night the night before. Like if Which she wanted to do radio some, stations. Yeah, are yeah. open all the time. Yeah. And so it was just, it wasn't clear. So Marita was described as vulnerable and a little bit naive. She seemed pretty desperate for male companionship. Oh, shit. And this is truly like, this was literally what the pastor, her pastor said about her. I'm just going to say it. I think it's trash, but her pastor described her as a bitchy and manipulative, (gasps) lonely and predictable. She had a huge desire to be in a relationship with a man. I'm like, what a dick. What kind of pastor says that? Oh my God. So that's what he described her as bitchy and manipulative. I'm like, God. You know, know. if I just you gotta do what you gotta do. You know, I mean, they probably Marita, you be you. God, you, Marita. God, I was just like, I couldn't believe that when I read that. But that's he probably had a thing. Yeah, (laughs) right. That's what I would pastor. (laughs) He's just being mean because he's jealous. Exactly. (laughs) That's what my mom would say about every bully in elementary school. It's like Eric clearly has a crush on you. I'm like, yeah. no, why does he punch me, Mom? Know, it's just because he likes you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> like, what? Why? I don't get it. Okay. Anyway, all this while, the police are still monitoring Don Miller. Like, they're not monitoring him, like, around the clock, but they're right, still but it's keeping only an eye on him. a year and a half. Yeah. So. They're still keeping an eye on him. So, one thing they noted was on June 27th, which would have been uh, like 13, two weeks after, um, the disappearance of Marita, Don was, was seen scrubbing the back passenger seat in his car, which suspicious. I mean, unless I, I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely suspicious within two weeks of a disappearance. Everything so, about his car is suspicious. So on June 27th, which was that day that they had noticed him cleaning out his yeah. car, a farmer was clearing his property of rocks. Oh, in the area. He said he smelled a terrible smell and he found a pile of rocks and bricks that was just a big heap and it was covered in maggots and flies. And he was like, he went away, but he's like, I should go back. He's like, somebody clearly put like a dead animal back there. And I just like, I need to see what's going on. It's my property. So he starts taking off some of the bricks and quickly sees that there's like a dead body under all of these bricks. And how many days after? So this was the 27th. So it was about two weeks. It was within, it was June 14th. She disappeared. In the summer. Yeah. In the summer in Michigan. Hot, humid, gross. The like due to the state of decomposition, they they were confident it wasn't Martha. So it was decomposed, but not not decomposed enough to have been a year and a half old body. Right, right. But due to where things were at, they were like, it it's very likely it's it's Marita. So the pathologist felt that the body had been there for several days, but not more than two weeks. And they, like I said, they were pretty confident just based on there's a missing woman, just based on like the, the things they could see that it was Marita. They literally like carefully removed each brick and rock crafted along the way. Every single time they, they removed one. And um, what they found was a a decomposing body. The body was partially clothed. It was nude from the waist up. Her hands had been cut off (gasps) and hidden under her body in a praying position. Oh no. Yes. No. Don't tell me that. Oh no. So the precision of the cutting, they said, was absolutely insane. So they went from thinking, like, this is some religious freak to thinking this might be, like, a doctor. Because apparently the hands were cut off so precisely that they were, like, very impressed with how how they were 
removed. Well, that will the edges are like surgically. Yeah. But again, with the with the praying hands, they thought that plus the fact that the bricks were placed like almost like an altar. They were like, this, right. is, this is religious. That's what I was thinking when you said it was a pile of rocks. I was like, oh, man. So there were also, there were some rings found on the body. And Marita's co-workers did ID the rings as belonging to Marita. And then with dental records, they were finally able to ID the body as hers. So she had been missing for about two weeks and she was discovered. So the autopsy of Marita showed that she was stabbed multiple times. Many of the stabs were long and deep. So furious like that's what i think when i think like a long deep cut oh yeah it's just raging it's like oh do you know i when people say they've like a body has been stabbed you know even 15 times physically do the motion like 15 only like resistance add resistance oh i know right you're tired yeah yeah i know i always yeah when they're like just try hitting like hitting. take a pencil and hit hit, hit yeah. something a hundred times when they're like you stabbed a hundred times that's like hit me katie yeah hit me. <laughs> do it a hundred times do it a hundred times <laughs> i bet you're gonna i bet you're gonna be so tired <laughs> i hate my body dudes. is still oh my god but, but yeah so she was stabbed a lot um oh. and long deep deep stab so several witnesses came forward so a man who you know, was out making maple syrup in the woods nearby oh where God. her body was found, <laughs> said he had been out there on June 18th. Um, and so her body wasn't discovered until uh, until June 27th. And he was like, on the 18th, I was out there. There was no dead body out there when I was out there. Another witness reported that there was a white van that had been parked near where the body was found. And he said he thought that it was there on June 14th, but another man was certain that he saw it on the 19th. Always a white van. And so, I know, right? Don't trust a fucking white van. Why Why do people drive no, white I, vans? If you, especially tinted or no windows. No windows. And like, really, that's honestly, the one any van, like white or black, gray. Yeah. Like, maybe not so Like much our red. neighborhood ice cream van. Oh, my God. Hello? He's obsessed with my house now. I know. He's freaking child. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm like. Oh, I love it. He, what I hear is. She'll be coming around the mountain. With this fucking song over and over and when I'm hello. working. And then the hello. hello. And like knows it now. So like anytime he hears it, he can hear it from like 10 miles away. And he's like, the ice cream's coming. Yeah. I'm like we're not getting ice cream today. And then it becomes World War III in my house. It's like, thanks a lot, ice cream man. Yeah. I thought about for that. Ruining I my thought life. about how he start, He probably starts fights in your oh, house. Oh, a hundred percent. Anytime. Yeah. To just today. Like he stopped. And then he like walks out the door and is standing in my driveway looking at him and he stops and like backs up and I'm like, keep going. We don't want it. <laughs> Kids don't make the decisions in this house. Like <laughs> four. Keep going, dude. <laughs> God. See, any other guy with any other profession that would be doing that right. <laughs> would be in jail. Like so I don't Why understand. does the ice cream man get away with it? I don't know. Just because he has dairy and sugar on hand? <laughs> like, that's no different than candy in a van. Like, oh, my God. You're oh. so right. So, yeah. So, creepy-ass white van. So, multiple people thought that they saw it, like, multiple days. So, was he coming back to be like, is this the spot? Was he doing something fucked up? Like, religious? Who knows? But, yeah, people were like, the body wasn't there the 18th. We thought we saw the van on the 14th and the 19th. So, lots of sightings of the creepy van and... You know, and lack it's, of body. It's, it's sad because people are trying to be helpful. I think most times people are trying to be helpful. And even the helpful people 
can throw it off course. You know, they right. can report false information or get dates wrong or, and it, it's, it's so, it's gotta be so frustrating when you're conducting an investigation. Like I said earlier, like police immediately, like were like two missing people, two missing young women, like, are they connected and kind of started like putting pieces together. But they were like, you know, Martha was a domestic, dis- you know, a domestic dispute potentially. Like if, if we really do think that it was Dawn that did it, like, it'd be weird to go from domestic dispute to like, just picking up a random woman yeah. and killing her. Yeah. So he, they're like, huh, are these connected? You know, they're trying to connect it, but not but really so the far, same motive. Right. Like, so far, they're just not able to, to put the pieces together. I mean, maybe he got a taste of it though. So uh, Marita's friends. So that, you know, the night that Marita disappeared, they had, you know, she had gone out to drinks with a couple of friends and one of the friends said, so that when they all left the bar, they all like drove out together, like one after another, you know, and then one turned off and then I turned off and, and one of them claimed, you know, Marita had turned off onto a road, like in front of her and, you know, she continued to go straight, but she said that when she looked over to see Marita, like driving down the road that she was driving down, she thought that she was stopping for a hitchhiker. She said she thought that she saw her stopping to pick up a hitchhiker on the side of the road. So Marita's friend described the man that she thought that she saw as uh, having dark hair and a beard and like dark, darker skin, like, like sun, like tan skin. Okay. So a couple of leads in terms of Marita, her pastor suggested that there might be a parishioner who was a person of interest. His name was Kensington. He had come from a broken home. He went to military school and he was arrested for assault a few years prior. Was he a manipulative bitch? (laughs) (laughs) No, he wasn't. So that's what I'm talking about. He's just a yeah. nice, just misunderstood. Yeah. <laughs> She's a manipulative bitch. She's a manipulative bitch. God. Yeah, this pastor. Yeah, he described her as a manipulative bitch. But this transient who had gone to military school and was arrested for assault just had a bad, bad temper. He just had a pee. He was just misunderstood. Exactly. Like he just didn't. He just so, friends. Uh, so he was a transient he had schizophrenia and he did know her he said he knew her and and was happy to help with the investigation and he agreed to a formal interview he told the police that he thought this would be interesting if this were true he thought that the pastor had feelings for marita i told you that and so he he was like you know i don't know why he's he's telling you that i'm the person of interest here he's like i think that he actually has so interesting because if it's the same pastor that called her manipulative it is. bitch, very- oh yeah, then he came on to her and she rebuffed him, right. and yeah, and he's like, oh, she's such a cock tea, right? Like, exactly. Yeah. So unfortunately, like Kensington, he babbled a lot. He was incoherent. He was clearly not like all there. He wasn't well. No, he wasn't yeah. well, and like they they couldn't they were like make couldn't make any connection between him and and Marita. So he was quickly like. Well, and a schizophrenic, a killer does not make. Right. You know, right. Exactly. Most people with schizophrenia do not end up being killers. A waitress at Howard, at at a Howard Johnson nearby. Now this is another, another lead that, that brought them to Kensington as well. Um, She said that she had been waiting tables and a man asked her if she had heard about Marita's disappearance. Um, Then he went into a whole thing about how the disappearance was related to Nazis and Patty Hearst and aliens and she identified him she, as as Kensington. So as this Kensington guy. So this Kensington guy was clearly not well. I mean, who could be onto something? I don't. 
Nazis, the government aliens, just released footage. Patty Hearst. Yeah. All of them. They're all real. Yeah. I know. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so again, the police searched Kensington's apartment, didn't find anything, couldn't find anything to ne- connect like him to, you know, to her in any way. And so he was ruled out as a suspect. So, so Marita was kidnapped or went missing on June 14th, 1978. Her body was discovered on June 27th, 1978. Okay. Now we are uh, coming up to June 28th of 1978. Okay. So so just a few weeks after Marita went missing. So just a few weeks after Marita went missing, we get a third woman who disappears. What the what? So a couple weeks after, and then a single day after her body was dis- was discovered, we get another woman who disappears. Oh. So this woman was a woman named Wendy Bush. She was the oldest of five kids from St. Louis, Michigan. Blonde hair, green eyes. She was young. She was 21. And she unfortunately didn't have a very good relationship with her parents. They, This is so funny. This is like... Unlike how is that funny? Yeah, this is like yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is, you'll, you'll get a kick out of this. Unlike, okay. unlike most kids who whose parents like beg them to go to school and will disown them or whatever if they if they refuse to. Right. Wendy just like loved school. She didn't know what she wanted to do, but she loved going to school. And she was like, I am not gonna like they were like, please drop out until you figure out what you want to do. She's like, fuck that. I like school. So she went, she refused to drop out of school. And well, so because they- of that, her parents were like. We're not paying for it anymore. We're not going to like, I we aren't see that bankrolling your, your lifestyle. I, yeah. My, so, I mean, my dad used to ask me if I was majoring in keg or one Oh one. And I, so like, like, I mean, we all get it. Like the first two years of college, aren't they really? Smart? Yeah. And, Hard to say. And, yeah. So yeah, Wendy but, was also not paying for her school and her parents like, please drop out until you figure out what you want to do. But her, the hard thing is like Wendy was actually doing pretty well. She had a 3.5 GPA. She was known for being a good student. She just like wasn't sure what she wanted to she do with her life. She was just taking water polo. Yeah, exactly. She was and probably doing typewriting and basket weaving. Interpretive also, dance. tell me, why is basket weaving the example that everybody gives for generic school classes? My, pa- I cannot tell you how many times my both of my parents have been like, you know, when we make fun of generals that you have yeah. to take and they're like, you have to take the stupid basket weaving. Who who came up with that? I like, have who, no idea. Because because I think at some point there was basket there weaving. There probably was. Like maybe yeah. my mom did take basket weaving and that was a required class. University of Idaho in Moscow, uh, you can actually major in Star Wars. So. I mean, you can, whatever. I mean, live your life, right? Oh, you're okay with that, <laughs> but you're life. not okay basket with weaving. basket weaving. <laughs> I would love basket. And honestly, can I take a basket? I would. I would dazzle the shit out of a basket. I would absolutely pay for a basket weaving course online right now. I would love that. Maybe okay. Yeah, let's table that. Let's Mm. table that for later because that sounds like do that. That sounds like a fun night. Like put it on the TV. Oh, I'm thinking of business. (laughs) (laughs) I'm thinking like let's come. You come over. We'll like drink some wine or something. Yeah, and and, like drunk basket weaving. Yes. Okay. 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 We'll do that. So, uh, so she, like I said, known for being a good student and on June 28th, she was scheduled to be, so not only was she a good student, but she was working. So she was working and she got good grades. She was a reliable worker. Um, and she obviously needed money now that her parents weren't going to pay for college. So June 28th, she was scheduled to be at work at noon and she didn't show up. She was quickly reported missing. Now, Wendy was known for spending time with men and being social. Oh. Not sure what that means, but she was very good looking. She was a manipulative bitch. I know. Yeah. <laughs> the pastor, she's a manipulative <laughs> bitch. I'm never going to let that go. No. <laughs> 
So uh, she loved, basically, she loved talking to anyone who wanted to talk to her. That sounds like me. I know. And so, like, they said, like, it's very likely she could have gone off on her own, but she didn't bring anything. Like, her purse was still in her dorm. All of her stuff was still there. So they were like, she didn't. You know, like, they just, it logistically didn't Like, she wasn't a flake. Like, I love talking to people. Yeah. Even people that clearly don't love talking to me. And I will continue to talk to them. But that doesn't mean that I'm just going to forget to take all my shit with me if I go somewhere. Yeah. So she didn't have anything with her. She went missing and they didn't have any leads. So unfortunately, Wendy went missing and there were no leads and it it didn't go cold necessarily, but it wasn't long before there was another disappearance that police were once again caught up in. So August 14th, 1978. So this is a month and a half after because it was June 28th. Was was when Wendy went missing, and now Christine, uh, the the next woman to go missing on August fourteenth, nineteen seventy eight. So Christine was a seventh grade life sciences teacher. She was a great teacher. She was like well loved. Oh, she was said to be deeply caring. Her students just absolutely loved her, and she loved crafting and cooking. She was married, had like a she was a young bride. You know, her and her husband had just recently gotten married, and so. Um, so on August 14th, 1978, Christine's husband got home that evening and she was nowhere to be found. <sighs> um, he said when he left that morning, she was in bed, but when he got home, you know, she, she was missing. So her husband, Ernie called the police immediately to report her missing. And the police came over the next morning. Cause I guess all night, like, they're like, it's okay. Listen, but it's late. Like, there's nothing we can do right now. Like, let's see if she calls tonight. Let's see what happens tonight. We'll come over first thing in the morning. Like probably thinking like, hey, bud, I hate to tell you this, but she left you. Exactly. Yeah. Like all that stuff. The next morning he called and was like, she's not back. So they came over right away. Um, He said like he had called all of their friends. He had spent the night calling all of their friends, all of their family. There was nobody who had seen or heard from Christine. And, and so he was like, you know, she's missing. So in doing some investigating, they figured out that Christine had dropped off their car the prior morning at the auto body shop. Um, She was dropping it off to to get something fixed and appeared to be leaving, appeared to leave the auto body shop and be heading to the bus stop. But, you know, they couldn't be sure. One of Ernie's employers, or sorry, one of Ernie's employees was driving. This is like, so like small town, like driving to work and saw her and like yelled out like, Hey, you know, made some comment, like your husband, like not give you the car today or something. Yeah. And she was like, Oh no, I'm just driving, you know, walking back from, from the auto body shop, something like that. So one of Ernie's employers had seen Christine as she was leaving the auto body shop and like walking. Um, a bus driver said he did pick somebody up that resembled Christine, but couldn't be sure that it was actually her. Oh shoot. So there's no indication. There's no, there's no way to prove that she actually got to the bus. And CCTV wasn't a thing back then. And <clears throat> right. So police and family started searching. They went door to door. Um, they, you know, scoured the area. During the search, they did find a pair of Christine's sunglasses. And there was also like in a, in an intersection near where she had been walking, they noticed this, like a, a, a skid mark from some, from some tires. Now a neighbor came forward and said that she was driving along, you know, in that area that was described, you know, near the auto body shop on the way to the bus stop. Um, and she was driving and she noticed a car that was parked on the side of the street and she saw what she thought were two people arguing. 
She described the car as brown and said that it had something on the dashboard. She thought maybe it was a knife. She said it looked like the man was pushing the woman inside the vehicle. They did a hypnosis hypnosis on her. So she like went really deep and was able to figure out some details. She said that she remembered the man. She During hypnosis, she believed that the man had stabbed the woman. She said the man was super angry, roughly 25 years old or so. And after seeing a picture of Don Miller was like, that's the guy that I saw. Huh. So um, this is in broad daylight. In broad though. daylight. It was like the morning. It was like, you know, like nine in o'clock fairly, in the morning, 10 o'clock in the morning. A fairly. Yeah. I mean, she was walking was from an auto body shop district. to, right. Yeah. So a busy area. Um, And she said when she drove past the car, the man backed away from the car, l- turned and looked directly at her. And she said it gave her like the chills. So yeah. So this woman was like, he gave me the creeps. So the police are still keeping Don Miller in mind as all of these things happen. Because even though they're like, oh, that's so, it's so like Martha Young is such a different scenario than all of these others. They're like, it just, he seems like a really good fit for the type of guy that would do all this, especially with the religious thing with, with Marita and the yeah. hands and all of that. Cause they have nothing else. They're like, we don't have any leads. We have no suspects. We have nothing on all of these disappearances. Yeah. But we I, do have a really solid suspect for one of them. So maybe if that's the case, we can connect him to the others. So that's kind of what police are thinking. Which I think at this point, uh, with this information that you've shared, I I would I think it'd be a stretch agreed to connect him to any of them besides a hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, I absolutely um, agree. The motive but, is completely different. Like any person would not look at this and be like, oh, like that's the same guy because their motive yeah. is so similar and the crimes are, I mean, the crimes are like, similar. Uh, guess what? You have another serial killer right. in your town. Exactly. Like, yeah. Or you have a serial killer in your town and there's one dude that did something shady to his girlfriend. Right. Like, so that is where we're going to end tonight. The next crimes that take place are the undoing of Don Miller. But, um, up until now, he is still basically living his life, flying under the radar, still going to school, still like still going to Bible study. Yeah, still doing his Bible study stuff, praying <laughs> frequently, I'm sure. God help whatever girls in his Bible study group. But next week we will talk about some atrocious crimes he commits. Whoa. And how he is ultimately caught. Okay. I'm interested. You got me hooked. Yeah. So Sorry for the cliffhanger, guys, but, you know, that's what happens when you read, like, an 800-page book about a crime. So so, so that's Martha, Marita, Wendy. And Christine. And Christine. Yep. That's so we got four women. Four women in Michigan who have gone missing. And only one of them's been found. Correct. And okay. only one's been found so far. So. Oh, so stay tuned. Stay tuned. But... Thank you guys so much for listening. Please make sure to like us on Instagram at Premeditated Podcast. Follow us. Share with your friends. Tell everyone you know that yeah. we're the greatest podcast on earth. Share with all your friends. Are. Josh Mankiewicz. Yeah. Josh, Josh fucking Mankiewicz. Mankiewicz. Josh Mankiewicz. Yeah. <laughs> Josh Mankiewicz, guys. Come on. That's the all makes, we need to say. The makes. The makes. His, his <laughs> like, <laughs> thinks we're cool yeah. and have good ideas. He thinks we have a good idea. Also, make sure to shoot us an email if you have any ideas, if you just want to say hi, if you want to tell us how awesome we are. How much you love Menards. How much you love Menards. My uncle keeps letting us know, you know, when he gets great deals at Menards or 
when he has a gets a bad deal and has to make a return on a piece <gasps> of shit, which just happened. It doesn't happen very often. Surely okay? it wasn't the gummy bears. <laughs> yeah, surely it wasn't the gummy bears. But <laughs> but please make sure to shoot us an email if you got some time. If you just want to say hi, we love getting uh, fan mail. The premeditated podcast at gmail.com. But thank you guys again for listening. We can't wait to have you back next week when we can do yeah. part two yeah. of this horrific story. This about, horrific story. About Don Miller. Yeah. <laughs> Him being a creep. He is a creep. He's a creep. But it gets, it. not only is the end going to make you crazy, but like. Is he an ice cream man? This, <laughs> but the stuff <laughs> that happens after he's caught is even more insane so oh so come back next time for part two. yeah as always tell, tell your folks we says hi